Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life Podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. My name is Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. As part of this series, we're connecting with PMMs all over the world about various product marketing topics. Today, I'm joined by Jack Priest, Product Marketing Executive at Linworks. Jack has had a very successful product marketing career so far, working at several ambitious tech startups, including Flume, Tech Nation, and Riala. Throughout his journey, Jack has played a key role in how each of those companies have scaled, being the strong and passionate voice of product marketing that they needed to grow. At Linworks, Jack and its global team are connecting thousands of businesses to millions of customers through their total commerce solution. Working with brands like Belkin, Ford, Turtlewax, and over 4,000 others, Linworks has processed over $20 billion in gross merchandise value by connecting, managing, and automating commerce operations. During my chat with Jack, we discussed how product marketers can and should navigate tricky buy versus build conversations with prospective customers. Jack shared his team's practical and well-thought-out approach to enabling the sales team with the right tools and resources they needed to help prospective customers move on from their inside solution and toward Linworks. All right, with that out of the way, let's do it. Hey, Jack, how's it going? Hi, very well. Thank you, Mark. How are you doing? Good. Thanks. Super excited to have you here today. Yeah, all the better for being here. Awesome. Would you be able to give our listeners a brief rundown of your career journey so far and what you do at Linworks? Of course. Yeah. Um, so hi, listeners as well. There's Mark. Um, I'm a product marketing exec at a company called Linworks, um, which is an e-commerce platform that helps online retailers automate key processes and reduce costs to grow their business. Um, uh, Previously, I've worked solely within the tech ecosystem here in East London. Um, My experience has always come from working on two parts of the business. So I've only been in businesses that have had a B2B and a B2C. Um, So often a a SaaS product um, behind a marketplace. Um, uh, So yeah, I've been working as a product marketer for four years um, and I've joined Linwork six months ago to help them with their um, uh, many, many pillars that the product marketing team work on. but mainly what we'll be talking about today is, is that field enablement piece. Excellent. Yeah, I'm super excited to dig into the topic, which, as you said, is that field enablement piece. Um, so, you know, in, in preparation for our conversation today, you mentioned a recent buy versus build conversation you and a sales rep had with a potential customer. Can you give an overview of that interaction and what role you as a product marketer played? Yeah, sure. So it was um, one of our sales reps came to us um, he was completing some outbound calls, as they do, um, to warm leads. So the leads had either read a recent white paper of ours, attended an event, or requested a, a demo of Linworks. Um, he came up against three prospects in a row that day that had built their own solution that was limiting their growth, both frustrated at their current solution, but not willing to take that leap of faith of giving up something that they had put so much work into building. Um, so the sales reps came to the product marketing team, myself, um, to see if we had any ideas on how we could do objection handling for this kind of conversation. Um, so that was how it all kicked off. Um, uh, and then <laughs> I guess if this was a film, I joke it would be titled The Silent Competitor, um, this biverse build conversation. Um, it would probably be an adventure film if it was a film, um, but we had no idea at the time how big of a competitor this was um, for Limworks how many deals we were losing, how many deals we were winning. Um, so we wasn't able to offer that immediate action to this sales rep to say, here's how to handle this conversation. So instantly, um, as a product marketer, um, it was to discover the problem. We needed to find out how often this was happening in deals, where in the sales funnel was it occurring, 
who who are having these conversations is it the ceo of the company the prospects is it um someone who's on the ground um uh, what are the main blockers to joining us from a built solution um identifying the opportunity size um understanding the pros and cons of building and buying and yet really diving into the weeds of, of the problem and seeing how big it was um so yeah the, the next step from from that was gathering as much win-loss data um as we could from previous deals um uh, conducting those win-loss interviews um and starting listening to to sales calls where this had come up just a bit paint that picture for us of, of this problem really fascinating. Before I jump into the next question, I wanted to just ask you a follow-up about something that you said that I think really resonated with me. And I love the way you phrased it was this idea of a silent competitor. Obviously with a built solution, every customer is going to build their own solution slightly differently. It's not like a known competitor that's going to have a marketing uh, you know, site and collateral, and you can maybe even experience their solution and compare it to your own. So I'm curious because they are silent and each one is different. How do you get a sense of the true nature of what you're coming up against in terms of functionality, value, and benefits when you can't just go to that solutions website and compare? Completely. Yeah, good question. Um, so this was just from talking to the sales reps and then conducting those win-loss interviews. We we soon had a couple of different um, almost examples of what had been built. Like, So we had in mind a couple of different tech stacks um, and tried to find out the verticals that they were they were existing within, um, and tried to build a picture around that. Um, so we noticed that maybe in food and beverage industry, um, they had specific models where they'd built only specific solutions to problems that was specific to them, and then that would in turn help how we would message um, and position ourselves for that conversation. Yeah, it's good to uh, you know rely on a classic, which is the, the good old win-loss interviews to to kind of dig deeper into those problems. I think a lot of the times the product marketers, because it's such an evolving space, we can try and maybe go farther than we need to and, and try and reinvent the wheel in certain situations because we want to kind of have that breakthrough solution or, or process. Um, but if something's already working, like a win-loss interview, why try and do better than that, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, there's always opportunities to improve, but win-loss interviews, they're a fantastic place to start, as you said, and clearly in, in your case, they uh, they worked, which is, which is great to hear. I also want to touch on, um, in my next question, something that you mentioned that within that one day, that rep uh, had three conversations with three different prospects with their own built solutions. So I'm curious, is that a relatively common occurrence in your space? You know, how did you find out whether or not they were common or they were just just happened to be coincidence that that day that rep had three of those same conversations? Sure. Yeah. And um, I guess as well, in terms of a sales rep bringing us into a conversation like that, that was also really common. Um, we're fortunate enough to have a, a global sales team here with a really good feedback loop. So, um, uh, yeah, just a quick shout out to our team. Um, but yeah, no, we use a we use a tool called Jiminy at Limworks, which is a social listening tool, um, similar to Gong, which many product marketers will be familiar with. Um, and this set this was set up by the sales organization and used for sales coaching. Um, uh, but product marketing have access to that. So when we first got set up with um, Jiminy, um, I submitted a list of competitors to our account manager, um, and then. They could improve tagging and transcript accuracy. So every time um, competitor A was mentioned, um, we'd be tagged and we could listen to that deal. So as soon as this came up, one of my first reactions was to 
put bi versus build topics um, into Jiminy to see what would come up. Um, uh, and that would help us refine competitor specific messaging, sort of um, uh, listen back to those calls and see where and which conversations and topics were coming up and how often and um, uh, refine our keywords, refine our user personas around that conversation. Um, uh, and then go back to the sales team and validate what we'd found. Um, uh, and that was really helpful to do. Um, in terms of how common it was in our space, that again was like that big discovery piece. Um, so we found that it was actually our seventh biggest competitor um, in the market was people that were building their own or thinking about building their own solution instead of coming to Limworks. And I can imagine that was a powerful insight to walk away from that analysis with is just to know and prioritize for future work and future tools to build, which I'll ask you about in a second here, where does the built solution fall relative to the existing solutions that our competitors are offering and, and how to prioritize? And with that in mind, what kind of processes or enablement tools do you put in place to help your sales team navigate future buyer built conversations as a result of that research or other research you conducted about those conversations? So after, after documenting these sound bites um, that we'd found in Jiminy, we helped to form a internal facing battle card. Um, so the battle card included um, objection handling tips, um, an elevator pitch, um, talking points to hit, such as being able to customize Linwork. So we found that um, a lot of the calls um, had their own engineering team and they, they had built their own platform um, to work in a specific way. Um, so they were they didn't want an out of the box package necessarily. So a big appeal to Linworks is that you can actually customize it um, to your own needs. Also hitting main points like we have a global support team available twenty four seven. That um, where a lot of teams who have built their own solution, um, it may be all stored in one engineer's head or one CTO's head. All of the knowledge um, and all of the the pain points, um, we were able to um, almost own that for them. And then also in the battle card, we've got win-loss deals. So before we really launched that battle card to, to the sales team and allowed them to, to get stuck in straight away, we, we also found it important to paint the picture. Um, this was a, a hidden competitor as we've spoken about. Um, so talking about the, the users that we found, talking about the, the big problem that it is, we mentioned it's our seventh biggest competitor that, that we discovered. And, really educating the team, the sales leaders, the marketing team, um, everyone around the company about the actual problem. And that rose, raised a lot of awareness um, and also a lot of buy-in for solving this problem, uh, which helped us a lot later down the line when we came to actually introducing the battle cards and training. Um, so yeah, we, we found, I guess, um, when we were painting the picture, um, prospects were managing, they, they were saying that they were managing fine, um, and we had to go away and think, okay, well, when is it the perfect time to bring in Limworks if you're managing fine but limited with growth? Um, we were discovering what markets this was happening in. It was mainly happening in mid-market deals in specific industries. Um, what people we were dealing with in those calls, it was mainly, um, I mean, I use a, we created a user persona around this, um, and it was mainly a CTO who we were uh, having the conversation with, but driven by the business. Um, so it was the CTO that was involved in the, in the calls with the sales reps. Um, and with that, on the back of all of that painting the picture and the user persona work and the battle card, uh, it allowed us to create 
customer facing assets um, like FAQs uh, that sales reps could could send over. Um, and then I think when once those those were done, um, this is around launch time and we've discovered the problem now we've we've identified where it's coming up um, we started to launch the battle card and do some training um, and this these were mainly objection handling training sessions um, it was when to bring in um, someone maybe more technical from linworks with a um, who understood and maybe someone from the onboarding team who would tackle specific problems um, uh, and specific uh, items that have been raised by prospects who are a little bit wary um, so that was the training piece. And then the final piece um, was wider marketing appeal. So could we find prospects who are on the brink or researching whether it's best to buy or build a solution in our industry? Um, so we started to create landing pages to attract prospects searching this conversation. We started to build case studies um, of people and users who had uh, ditched, their, ditched their homegrown solution and joined Limworks. Um, we started to encourage reviews on our review sites from those who were impressed with growth since adopting Limworks and um, created a framework for companies to analyze their own needs. So um, sending over to these companies a, a Limworks branded, um, here are the pros and cons list templates that you can fill in yourself. And um, yeah, that's, that's, I guess, a long answer. Um, but yeah, hopefully it was useful. Oh, that's Absolutely. And I, and I think it speaks to a couple of things. First, obviously the team and yourself did a lot of work and put a lot of cycles and thinking into creating the tools and the resources that your team was going to need to successfully navigate these conversations. So hats off to you and the team for putting in that effort. And I think to me, as you were speaking, the different steps that you took and the different pieces of collateral that you created and the, you know, collaboration that you pursued with various internal stakeholders almost reminded me of like a mini go-to-market. Like it's, it's almost as if you looked at this silent competitor and thought, oh yeah, this is a competitor, but we almost have to combat that in the same way we would bring our own solution to market. So I really like that. I don't know if maybe if you even did that intentionally or if it just kind of happened organically, but I really like that framing because I think when you are coming up against a competitor, you almost want to make sure, well, not almost, but you definitely want to make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row and that your team's fully equipped. And sometimes to do that, you almost have to go through that, again, mini go-to-market motion to make sure that everything's checked off. So yeah, I, I found that really fascinating as you were speaking. The one thing I wanted to follow up on, and you mentioned you know pros, to con pros and cons lists and objection handling. Did you find there was almost an emotional element that you had to come up against because a lot of the time, you know, this internal team or maybe this one in the internal stakeholder um, at the potential customer's organization was very married to their solution because it's effectively their baby. They created it, right? They brought it from inception to reality. So obviously there's a sense of emotional attachment sometimes when that happens, right? So I'm curious, did that come up at all conversations and how were you able to navigate that those conversations if they did come up? Yeah, um, so this did come up. Um, however, it was a little harder to um, measure uh, the emotional impact, I guess, of giving up something that you built um, uh, and invested so much time on. Um, I know for sure I, I live with an engineer myself um, and they, they, they are, it's like they build their babies almost. They are, they are attached to it. They um, uh, create something that is theirs and they put it out into the world and then it performs. So we did come across conversations where um, prospects were um, unwilling or unsure um, 
however they still knew that they their current solution didn't fit uh their purpose I, I yeah i totally can see that there's almost like this reluctance to to let go of something that you know you invested so much time and effort into and also to your point it's you're almost reluctant to acknowledge that we've outgrown the solution like it's done as good for where we are today but we need to take that next step. And unfortunately, we just don't have the capabilities in-house to make that happen. And that's obviously a challenging conversation, not just for you as the person proposing your own solution, but I'm sure for the internal stakeholders who then had to have the conversation with their engineering team to say, hey, you guys did a great job. You guys and gals, you know, this is fantastic. But for us to take this next step as an org, we really need to look outside. And I don't envy anybody who had to have that conversation, especially with engineers who are creative individuals. No creative individual wants to admit that their solution can be improved upon or that it's time to move on. So I cannot imagine not uh, how challenging it is, not just for you as the, again, the seller, but also for those internal teams. So I'm sure to your point, having some of those, uh, you mentioned earlier, some of those pros and cons lists, some of those um, objection handling um, elements would definitely make that conversation a lot easier, but still a very challenging conversation to have internally nonetheless. Um, so on this idea of a lot of the tactical elements of the, the tools that you equipped your internal teams with, do you have any general tips or tricks you'd recommend to other product marketers considering, um, you know, if they find themselves in that same situation? Yeah, um, I'd say um, it's a good time of year to look back um, at all the closed deal data um, that you have for 2021 and start to look for themes and threads that you may have missed um, throughout the year. Perhaps there is a, a hidden competitor that's stopping you from winning more deals. Um, and I'd also recommend a second pair of eyes, um, maybe get someone outside of the product marketing team to have a look at it. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely think that's a, a worthy um, project to, to work on over the quiet Christmas period. Absolutely. Even as things start to quiet down for the end of the year, maybe you've already got eyes on what's on tap for next year. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Take those down periods to take a look backwards, which obviously in business versus product marketers, we're always going forward. But I think it's great advice. It's take a pause, look backwards, listen to some of those calls. I love the suggestion of having someone outside of product marketing come in. Maybe it's a partner in sales enablement. Maybe it's just someone from the sales org. Maybe it's someone in a different part of the marketing organization, or maybe it's someone from success. It could be really anybody at that point um, to get that outside perspective. Because of course, obviously as product marketers, as much as we try to be empathetic, we have our own biases. We're looking for our own solutions and our own kind of proof points to justify our approach. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I love that suggestion. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners will take that away and apply that um, over the next couple of weeks once this episode goes live, or even just as they get back in the new year and are starting to ramp back up again. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Obviously, when we get into conversations around build versus buy, there's a lot of you know feature-oriented and product-oriented elements that need to be considered. And did you find that as an outcome of analyzing these conversations really critically, that there were any impacts to the product roadmap at all? Um, were there specific product-related insights that you uncovered and shared to help your product become an even stronger buy option when compared to build? Um, I, it didn't influence the roadmap. However, we did start to reposition ourselves and talk about things that we hadn't probably highlighted enough. Um, so, for example, our, our onboarding um, our onboarding process is, is incredible here at Limworks and something that we're really proud of. We have a great onboarding team and going through our website, going through our landing pages. This wasn't something that we were shouted about enough. This wasn't something that we had enough reviews on from our review sites, but something that 
a lot of prospects are looking for. And when they are switching from one solution to another, they want it to be as seamless as possible. So it didn't necessarily um, influence the roadmap or not straight away at least, um, but there are a lot of things that are coming up and a lot of requests, but um, no, it was more about our, our positioning of, of those key things to help assure um, those wins from competitors, especially this, this competitor. Yeah, I think that's a great insight. Sometimes you might not necessarily find the silver bullet to say, hey, this is the solution that everyone's building that we're missing. But even still, there's a lot of good insights that you can glean from from those uh, conversations and, and doing that analysis that can impact how you decide to highlight existing functionality. I know that's an experience that uh, you know I've gone through and my career as a product marketer is we're so focused on the next thing. What's the next feature we're rolling out? What's the next product we're launching? What's the next service we're going to give to our customers? But we often don't take the time often because we don't have the time because there's so few of us, uh, but we don't have uh, the time to, to look back and think, well, what is the existing functionality we have? What is the value that we offer? And how can we more proactively highlight that to our existing base or even potential um, customers to to leverage the good work that our product teams have already done, right? Like why it's, it's good, obviously always look at improvements, but if you're not taking the time to think critically about what is the value of our existing solution and how can we make sure that's really resonating, you are kind of just doing this launch and forget approach, which, which is sustainable to a point, but you can leave a lot of value on the table if you're not, again, taking that, that proactive look to, to look at the existing solution. So I think that's a great, uh, again, a little bit of in, uh, insight there and, and advice that I'm sure our listeners will walk away with. Well, well this has been great, Jack. You know, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I, I really like a, a lot of the different perspective you put on this buy versus build conversation. I, I love, again, this concept of the silent competitor. I'm sure that's a phrase that a lot of product marketers are going to are gonna steal and, and use in their own conversations when they're looking to get buy-in around, um, you know, exploring this build versus buy conversation further. So thank you for that. Um, but before I let you go, I do want to ask you uh, my final question, which is one I asked to all my guests. And that is, if, if you could be a product marketer at any company in the world for any product or service they offer, what company and solution would you choose and why? Wow. Um, I feel like that's putting me on the spot at the end of the show. Um, I've always said um, Spotify. So I will, I will keep on with Spotify. Um, it's a product that I use and adore using every single day. Um, and I also like keeping up with how they change and how they evolve. Um, my own listening behaviors change and since the pandemic's come in, they've invested heavily in podcasts and um, see them advertising more on working from home setups and offers and just from a product marketing sense, keeping an eye on what they're doing and um, what they're testing as well. So, um, yeah, they also, as a side note, have a really good product podcast themselves um, that's run by their internal team. Um, their head of technology um, does a, a, a small podcast each week um, on product strategy, but obviously listen to this one first <laughs> before heading over there. Yeah, no, no worries. We're all, we're all part of the podcast family, whether it's uh, Spotify or, or anyone else. So no, I think that's a great shout and a good recommendation. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I'm a, maybe a bit more old school. I I'm, I guess unique in this is I, I, I'd like to own my music. I understand the value of streaming and why a company like Spotify has exploded and why Apple has their own solution and why Amazon has their own solution. So I totally get it. Um, but I do agree with you from a product marketing perspective, uh, and even just from a product perspective, as you said, they do some really, really clever things. I think everybody's now starting to jump on the 
end of year wrapped bandwagon. I see a lot of companies, a lot of ones that you wouldn't expect to have a wrapped feature starting to leverage that. Obviously, you know, uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So I see a lot of companies doing that. And I, I agree with you in the sense that obviously music is very trendy by nature. It's very um, fatty. It, it, it kind of, you know, goes through different phases. So it makes sense that Spotify takes a similar approach. They're always looking at the current trends, like you mentioned with podcasts or working from home and trying to evolve their product to address. So I think that's an interesting uh, dynamic and, and dichotomy of, of Spotify is they, they offer a very trendy solution and they themselves have to be trendy in that same way, but they stick the landing, I think nine times out of 10. So hats off to the team and great selection on your part. I think that's a great choice. Thank you, Mark. Awesome. Well, like I said, Jack, this has been great. I'm going to let you go. I really appreciate your insights and everything that you shared with uh, myself and the listeners today. But before we do that, if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, maybe ask you questions about how they too can approach similar buy versus build conversations, or even just kind of use you as a, as a sounding board for ideas that they might have, how can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm on LinkedIn, um, Jack Priest. Um, type in Linworks, Jack, and I should come up. Um, or an email jack.priest at limworks.com um, and I would love to have a conversation with anyone about hidden competitors or Fiverr's build. Awesome. I'm sure there will be many who will take you up on that offer. Well, like I said, this has been great, Jack. I'll let you go and I'm sure we'll be hearing from you again very soon. Cool. Thanks, Mark. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening and if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, If you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.